part of the power of the of the charismatic movement um, within the evangelical stream of the church is that it gave people of European descent the ability to access the spirit realm in a way that was acceptable to Western culture. You're listening to the fourth season of the Prophetic Imagination Station, Frank Peretti's America. I'm D.L. Mayfield, a writer and neighbor. And I'm Crispin Mayfield, a therapist. Together, we like to overthink evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This season, we're doing a deep dive into Frank Peretti's best-selling novel, This Present Darkness. Thanks for listening. Hey y'all, we are excited to be back again with an interview with Lisa Sharon Harper. Danielle interviewed her and it is amazing. I'm so excited to share this with you guys. But before we jump in, I wanted to hear from you, Danielle, any like thoughts that you had about this episode? Yeah. Interview. Do you think I fangirled too much? No, I think you kept it cool. Okay. Yeah. I tried. I really like Lisa Sharon Harper. We mentioned her book a few times. We'll put it in the show notes. I've read it a lot. I've given it to people. I actually got it and had her inscribe it to you, but really I was just like buying it for myself <laughs> right. um, many moons ago. So yeah, I really love Lisa Sharon Harper. I just thought maybe before we dive into the interview, we could just talk through a few things really quick because mm-hmm. she covers so much ground, which makes sense given her background. She has been in multiple worlds and I am sure if our listeners have, you know, a toe or two in evangelical waters. They will relate to some of what she said. But first, I wanted to talk about, she mentions a few, she brings out one of the themes of, like, higher education being bad. So, like, mm-hmm. Frank Peretti talks about that in his book, This Present Darkness. The local university is kind of the locus of demonic activity mm-hmm. and, you know, changing the minds of the young. And she mentions like these two classes she took and like saying, I'm in the belly of the beast, all her Christian friends. And one was like an actual course on Jesus. It just wasn't taught by a fundamentalist Christian. It was uh-huh. taught by United Methodist church pastor, mm-hmm. which in her mind made him the enemy, which I think is something we have talked about personally is Peretti does pit Christians against each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's a big theme in, or not a big theme, but that's definitely a theme in this book. Right. And don't like not only don't trust Christians who are more mainline or not as connected to the spirit, but like they're actually in cahoots with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yeah. 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 That's that instead is... of being like, I'm so happy there's a, course all on jesus it's like no this is the enemy uh-huh right well i think that's because it's like you grew up fundamentalist then you go to college and then it's like you know here's this literary criticism of the gospels and it just is like oh my gosh that's totally wrong you know yeah and then the other class was art and the imagination and that just being like such a big deal and so exactly what peretti would warn you mm-hmm. again so i had a question i mean you basically just went to bible college did you have right. any experience it doesn't have to be related to education but where you found yourself in a place where you're like oh my gosh i'm in the belly of the beast just like they warned us it's funny i don't uh, nothing particularly comes to mind except uh, I was a missionary kid in Chengdu, China, and people talked all the time about like, oh, I just need to go back to the States for a while because it's like so spiritually oppressive Ew. here. Yeah. And so that was like interesting. I think that it had a lot to do with the smog, 
<laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say racism. There's a yes. racist smog yes, over that's the missionaries true too. there. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like uh I can understand I think I can say I can I can allow that yeah, there are places where there are uh spiritual oppressive forces, but I don't think that America is exempt from that. Thank you for saying that, because I wanna I the other thing I wanted to talk about really quick before we dive into the interview is just that Lisa Sharon Harper does such a great job of drawing out the tensions inherent in these conversations. And we are not saying like, oh, to believe in oppressive spiritual forces is wrong. What Mm -hmm. we're saying is it's wrong to believe that America doesn't have it just Mm -hmm. as much as China, right? Right. That is inherently racist, probably white supremacist, you know, all these things. So Lisa is kind of incredible because she's a model of someone who has deconstructed elements of how the belief in the supernatural can be used to oppress without like throwing it all away mm-hmm. and i think that you and i do not have a good handle on this right no. but i for one i'll just speak for myself i don't want to say i don't believe in any of it mm-hmm. and i think lisa does a great job of saying well i'll let her speak for herself because she says some amazing things but there's basically only one group of people is really adamant about saying there is no truth to the idea of a spiritual realm Mm-hmm. And we don't really want to be in that group. Right. And I think I've been thinking about this a lot where, you know, we're having to face our own modernism. And I think what's really hard for me is to say, like, I don't know. I don't like there are things I don't know. And there are things that I don't understand because that's actually what I was not raised with. I was raised with like this modernistic approach to the Bible. So you can like systematically analyze And I think for me, thinking about demons and angels, for me, it's been like, oh my gosh, like maybe I can kind of step back and be like, there are things that I don't know and I don't understand yeah, and that's okay. And I want to, I want to create some room for that rather than this like very white Western idea of like, I can understand everything there is. Right. And the Bible is a tool toward that end. Yeah. We don't know. Right. And I actually think that makes for a more interesting podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. Last thing I'm going to say is. At one point, Lisa talks about growing up and being in a campus ministry where... Which campus ministry? (laughs) The one that has modeled their name on the Crusades. Um, (laughs) And, you know, she talks about an experience I think a lot of people have. I just wanted to give a little bit more background of that context for maybe people who didn't grow up in it. But basically being told how you live out your faith is kind of what you're saying you rationalize the bible the gospel is very strategic logical and actually can be condensed to four phrases or four spiritual laws if you will and then um it's all about who you do or do not have sex with right and Mm -hmm. kind of being the basis for ethics and i think a lot of people have had that same experience and you know she's saying the ethics of jesus in opposition to the powers of darkness at work in the world are so much bigger than that. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really good word for us to hear. And, and she's someone who grew up in that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Before I let you off the hook, Uh-oh. have you been in the belly of the beast? Oh, I <laughs> I went to a few – I took a few classes at community college. And one of them was on, like, socialist governments. And I remember being like, whoa. And they actually did convert me. 
in a, in a sense mm. to being like, Oh, I don't know if I want to go full, you know, full heartedly into Rush Limbaugh land, which I'd already not wanting to, but as I was taking that course, I would tell my parents about it. And that's when they ended up getting me a subscription to the conservative Chronicle, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I never read. They were worried. They were right to be worried. The belly of the beast was like a small community college in Portland. In huh? Portland, Oregon. Hey, so before we, I guess the last thing before we jump into the interview is in a few, you know, we're going to do a lot of these amazing interviews and then you and I are going to do a short little episode where we talk about some of our wild charismatic mm-hmm. experiences because Lisa Sharon Harper, at the end of this interview, tells a story. And, you know, a lot of us have these stories and we don't have a place to share them because, yeah, where can you talk about some of the weirdness, you know, in charismatic or Pentecostal movements? So, listeners, if you have any weird stories, they can be good, they can be bad, they can be confusing, whatever, feel free to send them to us at the Prophetic Imagination. Right, propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Okay, I got it wrong. Propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Know the. Um, so, yeah, send us your stories. Let us know if uh, you'd be fine with us sharing snippets of them. And, yeah, you can look forward to us telling some weird stories. I got a weird one. I'm so excited. I got a really weird one. Yeah, I mean, like you said, where else can you share these stories? Except on a podcast for anybody in the whole world to listen to if right. they want. So true. Okay, let's go to the interview. Well, I'm so excited today for our Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness series. I get to interview someone I am a huge fan of, and that is Lisa Sharon Harper. And she's one of my favorite living theologians. Um, Her book, yeah, her book, (laughs) The Very Good Gospel, is one that I talk about constantly and try to put in the hands of so many people just because, uh, Lisa, just what you say about shalom in particular mm. speaks to something that is so deep within me that I know does not come from myself. And you're able to articulate mm. it in the scriptures and in our present day. It's fabulous. And I could not believe when you said you were a Frank Preddy fan in the past and that you <laughs> want to talk about his book. So feel free to yes. introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, hello, everybody. I'm looking forward to being in conversation with you today. Yes. Yes, I too was a part of the Frank Peretti bandwagon back in the 1980s when This President of Darkness first came out. And I think I read all of those books, all of the whole series, maybe save the last one, but I I, I read three of them. So This Present Darkness... Uh, the darkness revisited or something like that you know so a bunch of I read a bunch of them yeah yeah great and what are you up to these days well I am the the founder and president of uh, Freedom Road it's an LLC we're not nonprofit. we're actually a for-profit fee-for-service consulting group I also speak and teach and um, uh, train all over the world um, really focused on helping people to do justice more justly um, so we do that primarily by helping to reconcile narrative because we believe that the the most fundamental reason for the great division in our world right now is because we have competing narratives of who we are and how we got to be where we are. 
And so we believe that if you reconcile those narratives, if you begin to listen, particularly to the stories that rise from the ground, that rise from from underneath power, from the people who have been whose voices have been silenced, if we if we listen, then we can begin to understand more, and we can begin to make changes, um, make decisions that bring about a more just world. Wow. Okay. So I am very excited because I think some of these themes we'll be able to talk about today. Oh, good. Talking about this present darkness. So to, yes. to, to start off, tell me about where you were and kind of your worldview when you first read these books back in the 80s, right? This present darkness in particular. When I picked up the book, I would not have considered myself a charismatic. I would not have considered myself in fact, um, the teaching that I received in the context of crew at the time, it might be different now, as the gender stuff might be changing as well, by the way, um, within that organization. But um, but at the time, I was taught that tongues are not from the Lord, that, you know, tongues are of the devil. And so I really was not, or at least it was just a past thing. It was not something that was for today. Um, so I was not someone who saw spirits around every corner. But then I read that book and um, girlfriend stuff changed. I started seeing spirits everywhere. I was like, you know, (laughs) the devil made everybody do it. um, And that person must have a demon and that demon is trying to influence that and the the spirit and power. And I mean, all of, and when I was at Rutgers, um, one of the things that I was thinking about the other day, just in preparation for this conversation, was that I took a course. I took a couple of courses, actually. Um, one that was called Jesus, and the other one was actually called Art and Inner Vision. And you can imagine <laughs> how I responded to that as a Peretti fan, right? So Jesus looked like a great course, right? But it was taught by, you know, by a, a United Methodist pastor. And so he didn't really believe in Jesus, according to my worldview, right? He didn't believe in Jesus because he didn't believe every single word um, of the Bible was was meant to be taught as scientific fact, right? He actually believed that the, that the scripture is a literary document. In other words, it's written with words and it needs to be interpreted as we interpret any document that is written with words. <laughs> In other words, grammar counts, um, context counts, history counts. Uh, all of the other writings that were written at the time also count to try to interpret this thing. But I didn't understand that because that's not how in fact, I was going to say it wasn't how I was taught to interpret the scripture, but honestly, I don't think I was taught to interpret the scripture. I was just given the scripture and told, this is what it says, do it. And so I dropped out of that Jesus course. Um, actually, I think after like a week, and I was convinced that I avoided the new age, you know, the new age movement by doing that because part of the new age movement we were told and what Frank Peretti um, promotes is that um, it, it came through colleges. It came through universities. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is really kind of crazy. And then we will probably go into that a little bit more, but that was my experience of that. And then I took a course in my senior year called art and inner vision. And I was convinced. In fact, I told people for years, I told people I was in the belly of the beast and it was because it was an arts course. 
And I think about it now and all that it really was, all it actually was, was a course for artists about how to do collage. Like that's really what the course was about, about how to do collage. That's all. But it was drawing from our dreams mm. in order to to create dreamscapes. And the cool thing is, and I'll send you a picture of this. You can post it if you want. I've actually done a, f- a few collages and in particular one that I still have to this day. Yeah. And so I hear two things when you are you know, recounting this part of your mm-hmm. life when you experience mm-hmm. the book. So one is it increased awareness of, you know, maybe there's demons, right? right? Maybe there's angels. And we joke about people who read this book. We started seeing demons under every doily, right? That was like <laughs> what we said. And that was totally my, my family too. But it seemed to also increase your awareness of what was considered evil in the world, right? So new age, yeah. dreams, like, yeah. Pursuing what even like feelings as opposed to this rigid, uh, you know, literal biblicism. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's for me, the the question I never really honestly, I never really attached it to feelings because ironically, at the time that I was reading these Frank Frank Peretti books, I am an artist. That's who I am. That's who God created me to be. Ultimately, at the core, that's who I am. And I was an actor in the um, in in as a theater major, I was a theater major at the time. So, you know, but what was really clear to me is that there was a sense that, that this stuff comes through, demons come through the arts, demons come through imagination, demons come through the spirit world. Um, and, and, and ironically through the university, which is where I was at the time. So I just felt like, um, one thing it did do that I appreciate is that it did awaken me to what I actually believe is real, which is the reality of the spiritual realm. And I do actually believe to this day in the reality of the demonic realm, the demonic of the demonic. Um, I do to this day believe in powers and principalities, but I don't believe that they have, they hold the same form that they did or have the same goals that they did in Frank Peretti's, in Frank Peretti's imagination. Okay. Let's get into it then because let's dive. first of yeah. all, I would love it if, I know it's been a while since you've read the books, but how would mm-hmm. you describe Peretti's view of the demonic in particular? Well, the way that he, the way that I, I remember um, him describing the demonic is that basically um, there were demons over cities. There were, or, you know, principalities is what, I'm not sure if he characterized them that way. I think I learned later um, that, that, that structure, but there were basically demonic powers that ruled cities and ruled individuals. And that the goal of the demonic power was basically to take, um, it was basically, Actually, um, a spiritualization of the of the culture war that launched in 1983 through the moral majority. That's really what I've come to understand about it is that actually what it was, was it was a spiritualization of the culture war. So um, Frank Peretti was really um, wielding a huge sword. Um, gathering and galvanizing a whole generation, my generation, Gen Xers, um, uh, on the tail end of the Jesus movement to fight the culture war 
throughout the 80s and 90s, thinking that that was that was the fight against this present darkness. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think you're right on. Yeah. And the understanding that I gained from Peretti was that um, it was actually very simple. It was that demons attach themselves in order to move people away from God. And what moving away from God looks like is the worship of um, the worship of things that are other than God. So, mm. and that we kind of understand, and I think that actually is biblical. Um, that's where I think on the most basic level that I think that's actually true. I think it is true that, um, that there is a power at work in the world that is trying to, and succeeding many times in wooing us away from God because we were created for the deepest level of connection with God. Mm. But part of what Frank Peretti's worldview placed into the world, or maybe didn't place into the world, but magnified um, and convinced a whole generation of, what it meant to be with God was simply to be a mindful believer in a set of, of truths that you would proclaim um, and for me, especially at that time, I was in crew, right? Campus Crusade, it was the four spiritual laws, right? So wow. if you could actually say yes to the four laws, then you were in. But it really had absolutely nothing to do with what you did once you left that crew meeting. Unless unless you were having sex, well, then that was bad. <laughs> or if you were smoking pot, well, that we all know that was bad. And so... It was really our faith outside of our proclamation of faith was demonstrated by our sexual politics, by the what we did with our vaginas and penises. That was the that was what actually um, decided whether or not we were Christians. And uh, you know, demons would would move us one way or the other, mm, right? Yeah. So it's kind of weird, but it's really true. I think what I've come to understand since then is that that is a bunch of crock of crap. <laughs> it's like, it is really like, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's a bunch, it's a crock. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I've come to understand that is because I've come to understand that the gospel message itself, the one proclaimed by Jesus, that it is a gospel message that is the positions Jesus in direct opposition to the powers and the principalities. But those powers and principalities are not little, just little demons that are trying to move us, you know, toward having sex. Those demons and principalities and powers are actually as Viv Grigg, um, theologian and missionary, Viv Grigg would actually characterize them as levels of powers that do move us away from God, but it's more about they're moving us away from the ethics of God. They're moving us away from the ethics of the kingdom of God. They're moving us away from the rule 
being ruled by God. And what does it mean to be ruled by God? It means to come under the the constitution of God. And the constitution of God tells us what is good and right and just in how we interact with each other, not just what we proclaim it with our mouths and believe in our heads. Um, belief for the Hebrews was not a, um, a mind thing. It was kinetic. It was in the body. So it has to be lived out in the world. And when we talk about living out our beliefs, that's ethics. That's when we're talking yeah. about ethics. So, you know, the principalities today might be actually a spirit over a city. Like in D- I live in DC and I, w- I actually believe that the principality over DC is the spirit of power. Mm. It means that wherever you are in the city, whether you work on Capitol Hill or at Starbucks, people are hungry for power and they are fighting for power. And you will probably get stabbed in the back about five times wherever you work <laughs> because that's the principality over the city. If you're in Los Angeles, the principality over Los Angeles, another place I've lived, I believe is loneliness mm. and disconnection. Everyone is so disconnected. That's where the movie Crash comes from. The 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 thought that we would crash into each mm. other and that's how we get to connect. Um, and that crashing in, in, in Los Angeles is going to have um, multi-ethnic consequences because it's such a multi-ethnic and ethnically divided city. If you're in New York, um, I believe the principality over New York um, is uh, is fame. And so the, the whole goal for most people there is to become famous and to make their mark, you know, to make it to Broadway or something like it, basically, um, in New York City. So I think different places have different principalities. I think it's true. But the powers, according to Viv Grigg, who really corrected this for me, are not actually, they're not spiritual at all. The powers are institutions. The powers are people who lead institutions mm-hmm. and or and or have large mass influence. So, um, um, Danielle, you are a power. You are an actual power in the world. In other words, when you speak, people listen and actually follow you. I've come to accept the reality that I am a power, that the president of the United States is a power. Um, uh, The leader of World Vision is a power. Um, The leader of that mosque over there is a power because you have the ability to move power. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I I wonder if um, part of the reason that this present darkness was so powerful. I was just mm-hmm. talking to a historian last night and he said it's because it really did give people the sense of agency. Like, so there mm. are powers at work in the world. And if we just mm. say one phrase, right? Like the blood of Jesus is over. Oh me. my God. How and many times did I say that? <laughs> and we're safe. And then we have access to the power that will ultimately be victorious. And so we can understand why that was really powerful to people, mm-hmm. why they were drawn to that. And then at the same time, I agree exactly with what you're saying. Like just saying the blood of Jesus in the name of Jesus, I command you spirit to come out. Um, that is not the same thing as living under the ethic and lordship of Jesus Christ in the world, which yes. is a constant never ending um, battle of 
sin within ourselves. I, I mean, I'm saying this as a privileged person, right? So, yeah. um, and so for you, it took people like Viv Grigg, who I believe did have, you know, was in a relationship with people who are poor and from other countries and oh, other yes. experiences. And I think that's so important going into this conversation. Yes. And actually, let me just say that for me, and this is the reason why I think Viv Grigg was such a big part of my own um, kind of correcting where God corrected my understanding. Um, Viv Grigg spent years in the Philippines and other places around the world where he was immersed in communities without without power. He was immersed in impoverished communities, and he began to see the world differently as a result of that. And one thing that Michael Emerson and Christian Smith say, of who wrote the book Divided by Faith, um, the one one sentence that is actually hopeful in that entire book comes toward the end of the book. So if you didn't get to the end, you missed that sentence. But what they say is the one way for white evangelicals to have their worldview um, broadened beyond the three cultural tools, which are very personal individual, um, that they wield to understand the world the only way that they can have their worldview broadened is to be immersed mm. in communities that are not like themselves, and in particular, communities on the underside of power. Because what it means to be white, not to be of European descent, but to be, quote, white, like characterized as white by the governing powers, is to be one um, uh, who has been proclaimed, created by God to rule. Yeah, yeah. Created by God to lead the whole world, right? Um, and so that's what whiteness was literally crafted to be mm -hmm. in our political system when it first started in Amer on American soil before it was even America in 1660, literally 1660, Virginia, the first colony. That was when the legislature actually created the construct of whiteness. Mm -hmm. um, and since that time, that's what the meaning of whiteness is. But here's the thing is that what I've come to understand that the gospel is, is the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ is actually the news that Jesus, the king of the kingdom of God, has come to earth in order to confront the kingdoms of men, the powers on this earth who are hell-bent on crushing the image of God. That's right. And how have they done that? They have done that through the subjugation of the image of God in human beings that are not white and mm. also that are not male. So that's like, that's one of the primary ways is the racialization of the world and through gender oppression. Those are two major constructs that Jesus confronts directly, actually, in the text mm -hmm. um, through multiple parables and multiple times when he crosses over boundaries in order not just to show, oh, look, these people are not unclean. We can hang out with them, but rather to confront the the lies that are being placed in the minds of um, of the Hebrew people about themselves. Right. These were brown colonized indigenous people who he said, you are a daughter of, of, of God. I call you daughter, right? To the bleeding woman. Um, he, he asked a drink of the Samaritan woman, his ethnic en enemy. Um, and also a woman who at the time the Hebrews understood to be on the level with a dog, like literally as valuable in society as a dog. Um, because she was a woman. And so Jesus said, that's not true. 
this woman actually has something that I need. She has water that I need. I'm going to ask her for a drink. Um, and of course, in, in, in the process of him talking with her, listening to her, she becomes empowered and then becomes the very first evangelist in the entire gospel. The one who goes out and proclaims to her town, I just met the Messiah. He told me everything about myself. Go meet him. She, she, Samaritan, ethnic enemy, she becomes becomes released, becomes set free. So what I see Jesus doing in scripture is confronting the lies that empire tells us, the lies that um, that the powers tell us about the image of God on earth. And Jesus sets the image of God free. That's what it looks like to confront this present darkness. Hey, I wanted to take a quick break from this really great interview with Lisa Sharon Harper to talk to you about our Patreon-only podcast. Last month, we read and reviewed Frank Peretti's book, The Door and the Dragon's Throat, which is the beginning of his series for children, and looked at what does Frank Peretti's spiritual imagination look like outside of the U.S., and wanted to share a little bit with you. I, th- I think he was talking about the rapture, perhaps, okay. but, uh-huh. you know, who knows? Right. But yeah, it's very subtle, so I'm not sure all kids would catch that, nor would they believe it, you know? It is so talking out of both sides of his mouth. Mm-hmm. It's science, 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 up until it's like, nope, this is actually Revelation sign, come to life, mm-hmm. and we just stopped it. So it's it's really brilliant in a way, right? <laughs> like, he takes the trappings of Indiana Jones and then adds in some biblical literalism. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Yeah, that's what's so painful about it is it is this, like, trying to make biblical literalism work <laughs> with a Western scientific worldview. Right. And let's not even get into the racism of this book. Mm-hmm. It's... Wild. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is the thing. Each month, with the help of our patrons, we're going to identify one piece of evangelical media to review and talk about the dominant theology themes and also just share some fun memories that we have of growing up in this weird subculture. You can get access to that as well as access to our discussion Facebook group through becoming a Patreon supporter. You can join at $1.50 a month, $4 a month, or $8 a month. And the secret is, it's not a secret, that no matter what level you sign up to, you get access to all the same things. But we just recognize that some people are able to support more and some people are able to support less. So we wanted to make sure that there are levels that would work for everyone to be able to join part of this community and supporting this podcast. And now let's get back to the interview with Lisa Sharon Harper. Yeah, I love everything you're saying, and I I feel this pull within me, so, you know, my heart, like, leaps up when I hear what you're saying, Mm -hmm. but then I kind of crash back to earth thinking, okay, so with this present darkness, I think Peretti was trying to make some moves towards, yeah, being more aware of the fact that there is this supernatural reality that we cannot see, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But in some ways he did the opposite of what you're saying. He did not privilege or prioritize the voices of women in particular. I mean, everybody no. in his book was like a Norman Rockwell white town 
sort of totally. thing. You know what I mean? But yeah, like I, being encroached by people who were from urban areas and, you know. And it had Asian weird. influences. Yeah. <laughs> right? Eastern yes. religion. But yeah. I think like, you know, most of the women in this book are not – First of all, they aren't the men of God. So like the two main male characters are held up as the men of God. And women, in fact, are often demonized and used to pull down these men of God, you know, through mostly false accusations of rape. And so some of these issues, when you kind of wow. <laughs> look at how where we are in 2019 and white evangelicalism and uh, misogyny and all that, it's just it's kind of terrifying to me. The reason I did want to interview you, though, is because I feel like so many I'll talk about my own background, right? White evangelicals. Sure. We are in a place of deconstruction and of struggling mm-hmm. and of having to grapple with our approaches to power. And yeah. I think we need to keep doing that. However, um, there's not a lot of people saying you should deconstruct a lot of this. And yet I still believe in principalities and powers. And that's exactly what you've been telling us. And so mm-hmm. I love everything you've said. Who who would you recommend people like myself to continue following as we we don't want to be locked into this you know enlightenment world where this is all there is and we alone are here but how how can we start to change our approach to power and being aware of principalities and powers but not in a way that continues to uphold these unjust systems that some of us benefit from I think that everybody who's listening to this, I mean, first of all, you got to read the very good gospel. So there oh, you yeah. go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a basic. I mean, I really do. I really, I actually really look, I wouldn't have written the book if I didn't believe in it. Right. But, but I actually really do believe that it was written as a resource to help us to reorient the way that we understand the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. And as an evangelical, the gospel is the center of my worldview. Right. So it's literally the very center. And, or at least it should be. If it's not, then there's a problem. Then we probably aren't evangelical like we think we are. Hello. Um, but that, that, that's important. And then I would also say that it's really important to immerse yourself in the writings and listening to podcasts and basically the teachings and reflections from um, people of color. So I would say, just like Michael Emerson and Christian Smith said, immerse yourself, mm-hmm. immerse yourself. It's not just, okay, who's the one person of color I'm going to read this year. Right. I would say, I challenge you to do a year where at least where you are immersing yourself in the stories and the theologies that are rising from people of color. Um, and some people that I would recommend just off the top of my head and, and by people of color, the reason why I say that in particular is because within our American context, the otherism that you see is that racialization yeah. of the world and also the genderization. In other words, um, the, the gender hierarchies that were created um, by our laws that were um, reinforced by the church and sometimes and many times actually came from the church. So the people that I would recommend, James Cone's um, Cross and the Lynching Tree is, I think, a must. You have to read that. And the reason why you have to read that is because he does an amazing job of bringing us into a reflection on Jesus and on the cross itself in, in relationship to the least of these, in relationship to as one who, as Howard Thurman um, puts it, um, looking at the cross from the perspective of one whose back is up against the wall. Yeah. 
right? So, and then Howard Thurman would be another person who I think is a must. And the, the what you want to read from him is Jesus and the Disinherited. Um, another person who you have to read because I actually think she is brilliant and she is speaking not from an evangelical perspective at all, but rather, but she is actually speaking some truth, um, is Kelly Brown Douglas's Stand Your Ground. Yeah. So in these days where we are, um, where we are uh, facing authoritarian rule that we began to first see it actually crop up in, in like plain view um, with the acquittal of George Zimmerman um, for his murder of Trayvon Martin, even though we all know he did it, it was on tape that he did it. Um, and his prosecutor simply argued that Trayvon Martin had a weapon too. The weapon was the ground he was walking on. Literally, the cement that he was walking on was his weapon. So if that's the case, every black person who walks outside is walking outside with a weapon, right? But George Zimmerman was acquitted because white people in their imagination believed that. So um, her book, Stand Your Ground, um, comes out of her reflections on that moment and is really, really uh, um, speaking to that rise of authoritarian, in other words, rule that does not consider the voice of the people, not all the people, not people of color. And where does this come from? So she does a really great um, expanded version, I think, of um, of the history of race in America and racialized thought. I do that in The Very Good Gospel in chapter nine, but her book actually expands on that. So I would really recommend um, going into that. Um Another thing about Howard Thurman is that he's a mystic and he's somebody who actually is actually deeply, he very much um, understands the spiritual and uh, the mystical realm. And, uh, but we don't, we don't often in the evangelical world, listen to voices of people of color um, who actually also understand the spirit. And that's actually something I'll say just to close this thought is that, in the African-American tradition, the Latina, Latinx tradition, um, in the Asian tradition, in the Indian tradition, Native American, and also India, Indian, um, basically in every people group, in all the indigenous cultures around the world, everybody, everybody has uh, an innate understanding of the spirit world. Mm. There is not a culture group on earth um, that is a culture group of color that does not solidly believe and understand the world to exist in, in a spirit realm and a physical realm. But in most of those groups, the spirit and the physical are not really that separate. They're, they're very fluid. And in other words, the reality of the spirit realm is always present with us right now. And the veil is thin. That's the way that it's understood. You know, hence you have the um, Dia La Muerta, right? The day of the dead within Latinx tradition or um, uh, the, the way that the creation stories are told in the, in the native or indigenous traditions are by looking at and telling stories about animals as symbols of different things. Right. Um, there's a there's just a, a different powers. Um, there's there's a, an understanding of the spirit realm 
So I think it really, in many ways, is a European and Western project to separate those two and actually to secularize the world. It's not a project that you find anywhere else in the entire world, except in the context of Western culture. Mm. And here's why I think that's true. I think that's true because I think that the unspoken project of Western civilization has been to usurp God. Mm. Wow. That the unspoken project of the Western imagination is to become God. Yeah. yeah. It is to it is to control everything. Everything. And you see it in its most basic form, its raw form, when you look at the amazing amount of wars that took place and how long they took place in Europe before before the first boat sailed, <laughs> you know, from those shores. And then you see it in what exactly happened the minute they left the shore. They took those wars with them to the rest of the planet and um, and incorporated enslavement yeah. um, on a level that the world had never seen before, in a way, in a level of brutality that the world had never seen before. Yeah. And then genocide, all as they were all in the context of war. And war is about domination. And our governance from that time forward was about establishing the dominance of Western, of, of the West and in particular the white West, um, over everyone else. That is, is the essential American project as Jay Cameron Carter would say. And he just wrote recently, he talked about this explicitly in a recent religion news service, um, article that is drawn from his next book, which I'd like to promote here, even though I haven't read the book, but I love that article. And I had a conversation with him and I think that he nails it. So, I mean, the only way for you to think there is no God, the only way for you to live without understanding or really, um, uh, without connection to the spirit world is to think that you are God Mm. is to, is to think that, I mean, well, also to live at a level where you don't have to experience oppression, where you, you have no experience of the powers because you are the powers. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. You are the power. So you don't have to, you don't have to experience it. You live above it because you're the one doing the pushing down. But when you are on the underside, when you're on the underside of that, um, and, and the underside doesn't mean that you're not white. It just means you're not, you're not rich white. You're not affluent. You're not privileged white, right? Like super privileged white, but you could be poor white and really understand, um, really understand those powers. So for example, the Celts, um, in Ireland, um, they absolutely understood the spirit realm and also, um, uh, how the powers were at work. Um, and the women in the Celtic traditions, um, who, uh, 
who interacted with the spirit realm in the same way that indigenous people all over the world do, they were called witches in Europe and burned at the stake. Right. Yeah. Um, but actually all they were trying to do, I've come to understand all they were really trying to do was trying to find their own voice as images of God in female bodies. Mm. Wow. Okay. I just love this. This is like a history lesson and a theology <laughs> lesson. And I think you've given all of us so much to think about. Is there mm. anything else you'd want to say about this present darkness, Frank Peretti, anything else that you're just dying to say? I just think, I think that this present darkness was literally I don't know if he wrote it this to be, I don't know him. I never met him. I know his work because I read it incessantly in the eighties and nineties, like I said, but I, I really believe that it was used to forward a political movement. And that political movement was one that was consciously um, galvanizing white evangelicals to to rally around a political ideology that they knew when they started this in 1983 would ultimately result in the winning of the original culture war, which began with Brown versus the board of education, Mm. not Roe v. Wade. So the culture war is actually not just about sex. It's ultimately actually about about sexual politics and race Mm. because ultimately um, what it comes down to is the desire for continued rule and control of white men over white space and white women. And, uh, and, and other women as well as they, so, I mean, it really does kind of go everywhere. I realize I just open. we're about to close and I just opened a can of beans, but that's for maybe part two. We can come back and talk about that later. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And I, you know, I think as I've talked to more people about this, um, I do think that Peretti wrote a fiction book. And he Mm -hmm. was someone very influenced by Stephen King and monsters and had his own background with bullying and being drawn to stories of, of monsters that could take power over people who oppressed. And so he has a really interesting backstory. Um, but I think what's interesting is that for whatever reason, evangelicals and white evangelicals in particular were primed to read this book, take it and run with it in the direction of the moral majority. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that part of the power of the, of the charismatic movement um, within the evangelical stream of the church is that it gave people of European descent the ability to access the spirit realm in a way that was acceptable to Western culture. Um, and, and actually to the affluent because the charismatic movement, unlike the Pentecostal movement, which tends to be, um, a more impoverished movement, or at least a more middle-class to impoverished movement, but the charismatic movement tends to be a very affluent movement. And so, Mm. you know, it's interesting to me that the charismatic movement, you know, comes out of Southern California, um, with, uh, Vineyard and Calvary chapels and others, you know, groups like that. Um, that I think that the spirit world is being accessed and touched. In other words, 
the powers, the principalities, and the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is being accessed all over the world, except mostly in white affluent spaces. So I think the charismatic movement was a way for white and uh, uh, affluent folk to access to access it in a ways that were acceptable within their culture. Yeah. And I think that's so true in my background Mm -hmm. and my mom became very involved in the charismatic movement in the Mm nineties, you know, going to Toronto, doing all that stuff. Um, And I've had to do some unpacking of that, but I don't want to throw it all away because it did give me a pathway to say, Oh my gosh, there's more than this rationalism. There's more than Mm -hmm. me intellectually assenting to the four spiritual yeah. laws. And I'm so, I'm so glad there's more than that. You know, I'm sorry. I know that I've gone over here, but I have one, I do have a story to share. I love it. Keep I going. One story to Keep share. Going. So, so, okay. So early, really early on in my investigation into this stuff, I had already read the books, right? Like I was already a Peretti fan, um, but I didn't really know how I felt about it in terms of, I hadn't had any interaction with it, um, with that spirit realm that I'm telling you about. Right. Um, until I was in intervarsity at um, in grad school at USC, and it was a, we were there for the summer doing summer stuff, and um, somebody said, "Hey, you know, the Vineyard is having this big conference. It's like a Holy Spirit conference. Who wants to go with me and check it out?" And I was like, eh, "I'm not really interested." And then I decided, "Okay, I'll go." And I went, and it was the reason this. I thought of this is because you mentioned the Toronto blessing thing. Yeah. Well, this was yeah. right in the midst of that. And um, at some point they had just had somebody roar like a lion um, in their audience. And, and so that next day was when we came and they were telling the group, they were telling like all the people in this huge stadium full of people that they had just had somebody roar like a lion. And then they brought somebody onto the stage who then roared like a lion. I was like, okay, this is not, this is not, this is, this can't be real. He can't like roar like a lion on cue. You know what I mean? It's kind of weird, but very, very soon into the guy's um, talk, somebody on the other side of the stadium, far other side of the stadium started to laugh. And then somebody started to roar and there, and then that roar, I kid you not, it kind of went like a wave all the way around that huge stadium to all, before you know it, people were roaring all around me. I was like, holy God, help me, Jesus, help me. So I literally, I literally went down onto the ground under my seat and just sat there kind of trying to be safe from this thing. And then I went home. And when on the way home, I was like, I am not going back. But the next day I felt prompted by God to go back and just give it another try. Just like, maybe that was weird. And maybe just, just, just stay open so that you can try to understand something. And I, and when we got there, we got there too late that night. So we ended up going into the overflow room and the overflow flow room guy um, who was speaking, he actually did not lead the time in the same way that the guy in the big room did somebody started to laugh in that room and he stopped them and said, there's a time for that. And this is not that time we're here now at this time to speak. We're going to have a worship time afterwards and then we're going to clear out the chairs and y'all can, 
go at it, right? But not now. And so we listened to his talk to this day. I have no idea what he said. I can't remember. But I know that afterwards they cleared out the chairs and I just sat down on the floor and I was just determined not to roar. Like that was my thing. I was like, I am not roaring, God. I'm not doing this. Um, and I'm not going to do the holy laughter thing. I'm just going to sit and observe. And But my friend put her hand on my shoulder or on my knee. She put her hand on my knee and she was like, you know how they like shake her, her hand was shaking as she was praying for me. And I'm just like, oh my God, what's she doing? And next thing you know, I, um, I start to weep. And I just felt like, it felt like something was burrowing into my soul with the movement of her hand. And, and then I started to weep. And then out of the blue came this roar. I roared like a lion. Yes, I did. <laughs> it was the one and only time in my life. Had no association with theater. It was real. And I remember thinking to myself in the midst of observing myself roaring like a lion and asking, what is this, even as I was doing it? And it and it, the, the only words that came to mind was, this is how God feels about the ways you were violated as a child. Mm. Oh my gosh. And then I thought, oh, okay. I get it. I get it. Wow. That even, you know, there's like this, um, what do you call it? Um, Fetishizing of the movement of the Holy Spirit in the evangelical church. It's like, oh, everybody's going to roar like a lion now. Oh, we're going to experience spirit. We're going to roar like a lion, you know. But actually, the heart of God, the spirit of God comes against oppression. Yeah. And that's what that roar is about. That's And speaks to belovedness. Yeah. Speaks to your belovedness. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I just want to say to myself and to other people is there are places where God wants to break through and remind us of our belovedness and speak against injustice. I think that's so true. And a good a good word to take with us as we continue to deconstruct some of this wild stuff. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that we have to unpack still. Yeah. So this wild world we yeah. live in. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing with us. And I really really hope everybody goes out and picks up your book the very good gospel i've read it like five times and i love it so much <laughs> thank you so much it was really great to be with you today and i hope all your listeners um you know go out and actually get all those books that i listed oh, because yeah. they are they're really i think they're essential they're essential yeah that's yeah. true that's true god bless you okay. thank you so much lisa thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. We are excited to continue this conversation. Again, you can find us on Twitter at PIS Imagine. You can find Danielle at DL Mayfield. You can find me at K double underscore Mayfield. And you can also email us at prophetic imagination station at gmail.com. I hope that as you listen to this interview, some of your own memories were coming up, processing some of your own personal experience, and we would love to hear about that. So please give us an email. Thanks.